Good morning. There's a, a story I read just this past week about a, a mom who was texting to her teenage son. And she says, son, what does IDK, LY, and TTYL stand for? And he said, I don't know, love you, talk to you later. And she wrote back, it's okay, don't worry about it, I'll ask your sister, love you too. I also read this week that people say millennials, the millennial generation, feel entitled, to which one of them said, okay, but have you ever tried to tell a senior lady that her coupon is expired? <laughs> I want to put it up again this morning, just to, as we get started here, to say that you and I, all of us, are a product of some generation. That just goes with your age. Whatever your age is, you are a part of some generation. You fit into it. And sometime in the past, think about this, people of the elder, the builder, the greatest generation looked at the boomer generation and realized about those young people, these people don't remember when Pearl Harbor was attacked. They don't remember a nation that became mobilized and transformed by a world war. That was 80 years ago. 80 years ago. Today, 9-11, 21 years after 9-11, 2001, there is a generation looking at Generation Z, the Zoomers they're sometimes called, and also a bunch of millennials, and they are realizing these people, these young people, don't remember when New York City was attacked in 2001. They grew up without that experience. And it is another stark reminder that our views of the world are impacted by the year that we're born, aren't they? 911 was 21 years ago. People of Generation Z have no direct recollection of that event. And that just goes to demonstrate where you were born in history impacts your view of life. How many of you here this morning, show of hands, how many of you have ever said of someone you observed, well, she or he, you can tell, grew up around the Great Depression? You ever say that about somebody? They save all their plastic bags or something like that. That person grew up around the Great Depression. How many of you here this morning, show of hands, have ever helped your grandparents or parent figure out their phone or their tablet or their VCR? <laughs> Whatever, yeah, okay, a lot of those too. Our seven-year-old granddaughter, Addie, calls us from Carl Junction, Missouri. She is visiting Grandma Penta's place, and she is really excited. So she calls Nana on FaceTime because she's got to show her something. Nana, you've got to see this. This is the coolest thing ever. It's a house phone. <laughs> and, and I can call Dad on it. And she proceeds to call her Dad on the house phone, the landline and he was busy working or something, and she got him on the phone. She just thought it was the coolest thing that there would be this house phone. Well, think about that. How is Addie, for instance, supposed to understand what we mean when we tell her, hang up the phone or dial a number? How is she supposed to even get that? 
How will she understand when we say one time we went and had some film developed or you rewind the tape before you take it back to Blockbuster or save your file on a floppy disk? Her parents may never understand what's meant by saving green stamps or what tab cola and figurines are or pet rocks or sea monkeys or the monkeys or TVs where you have to get up and change the channel with your hand. We actually have a lot of really neat things to learn from other generations, don't we? That goes both directions. There's a lot of neat learning that should happen there. And this month, we're focusing on this third point of our Thrive Plan, reaching the next generation. I'm just amazed at how vast that subject is. Last week, we considered how the church belongs to Jesus. Amen? All of it. It's not my church. It's not their church. It all belongs to Jesus. And so it ought to reflect that, his desires. And we're going to need to remind one another of that from time to time. I just reminded you. This Saturday, we're going to be hosting uh, the 16th car show uh, here at Central Christian Church. And there's a handout about that today. Please read it. Scott asked if I would mention something. And I'm glad to mention something. This is a big deal. There are a lot of people involved in it. There are going to be a lot of people here. We're sure going to be praying that the weather is not like this come Saturday. But please check that uh, handout over. There's a lot of important information there. Be praying about this because we want this Saturday to be one of those times when we as a church family connect with people, and a lot of those people are going to be from the next generation. I want this morning to talk to you about the first and most important place where we can reach that next generation. You ready for it? It's your house. And so, especially this morning, I'm going to be talking to parents and to grandparents here. You don't have to have kids in your house, though, to care about and to appreciate the importance of what we're going to be looking at and talking about here today. When lions go hunting, I know because I used to watch Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom. When lions go hunting, they tend to single out the young and the weak. They target their easiest prey. Why not? If I was a lion, I think I would probably do the same thing. What's the, the easiest meal I could have with the least amount of effort? And I think about that picture in my mind and put one up for you to think about this morning because of what Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. He tells all believers there, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. So Peter compares Satan and his work to the work of a lion on the hunt. Oh, Peter, you're such an alarmist. Or could it be that the Holy Spirit, by inspiring Peter to use this word picture, was working to get you and me today to take this threat seriously? Who are the youngest and most vulnerable people among us? Who are the ones, especially, that the lion would be targeting today to drag off and destroy? It's those little people in your home. It's your grandkids. 
It's the youngest members of this next generation. And one of the most devastating and widespread lies that he's using reaches into the very core of their being today. While these kids are just trying to figure out who they are and what life in general is about, the forces of hell are hitting them with a barrage of lies and misinformation. In other words, there is already a very serious effort to reach the next generation by the enemy. Church, be sober-minded. Be watchful. I realize that on any given Sunday, any one of you online right now watching here or any one of you here this morning who has an internet connection could easily call up two or three really good sermons from some really good, well-polished preachers. I understand that. It's always there. And so let me tell you this morning, I am very grateful for your ears right now. And I am conscious of how valuable time is. And I know that it's not a competition, but that's the reality that I live in every week as I try to get ready to get up and speak. You could get on the internet and you can find better, I suppose. But let me assure you, Parents, teachers, coaches, grandparents, anyone else who has the opportunity to shape a young person's life, your work is cut out for you. And the competition for the mind and the heart of those young people is huge. It's called TikTok. It's called Instagram, Snapchat, Discord, Reddit, YouTube, Twitter, and everything that goes with those, good and bad. Last July on YouTube, the San Francisco Gay Men's Chorus posted a video production of a song called We're Coming for Your Children. And it did a, a negative stir, so much so that they right away took it down for a while. It had lines like this in it. You think that we'll corrupt your kids if our agenda goes unchecked? Funny, just this once, you're correct. We'll convert your children. Happens bit by bit, quietly and subtly, and you will barely notice it. Learn to love, learn to vogue, face your fate. We'll convert your children. Someone's got to teach them not to hate. They say it's satire. They say, it's a joke. They're coming for your children. A joke. Really? Not exactly. You see, someone thinks you're the joke. And that's what they're saying. You're a joke for just being hateful and intolerant. You're a joke for thinking that you should be watching out for what your children are listening to and believe. You're a joke for thinking they might be misled as they try to piece together what is the meaning of life and they listen to us. You're the joke. Really? Over 250 animated characters in children's programs now identify as LGBT. From what I see, it's not a joke at all. It's a deliberate, orchestrated effort targeting children with false ideology, 
It's not targeting grown-ups. And it's the lion singling out the young and the weak. I know this is a downer. This part, it gets better. But let me encourage you to do something this morning other than just get red-faced and, and angry about this, okay? 2 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul says, Though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. What does that look like? I'm glad you asked that. See, God has had a way to counter this attack all along, this idea of reaching the next generation that has been launched by the enemy. One of them, one of the ways he has given is to set up what I call a, a home base. Now, if you're camping, home base is the campfire, right? Campfire is where you come back to on a camp. If you're playing tag, it's that place where you go to. Can't tag me, I'm at home base. If you're in the military, it is headquarters. If you're at college, it's home where you came from. And for the young members of the next generation, home base literally is home. To quote the great theologian of our time, Dorothy, there's no place like home. Since the beginning, God has been putting into our lives home bases for life. One of the first was the Sabbath day. You know, the Sabbath that God prescribed for Israel wasn't just a day away from work. It was a day for reflection. It was a day to reset. It was a day to recalibrate for life. It was, for the Israelites, kind of a home base to help keep things in perspective. It was a day that they would step back and they would process the events of the other six days of the week. And it would help make some sense of it all. And you and I, we would do well to understand that the concept of Sabbath wasn't just for Jews, but it was made for man. That's you and me. When God called Israel out of Egypt, he gave them another home base. He had them build the tent, the tabernacle, a place of worship. It was home base. And the whole nation set up their camp around the tabernacle, that place where God would appear, where his presence was known. He gave them the annual celebration of Passover. Every year, the people were reminded of the way that God freed them from slavery in Egypt. And that celebration became one of those home bases. Exodus chapter 12, verse 24. Listen to what he said about Passover. You shall observe this rite as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. When Israel went to enter into the promised land and God stopped the Jordan River so that they could walk across, one of the things he had them do was a member of each tribe pick up a rock from the middle of the Jordan River, carry it to the other side, and when they got there, they built them into a big pile of rocks to be a reminder 
of how God had stopped up the river so they could cross. It was for them kind of a home base to visit and remember, Mom, Dad, why is there this pile of rocks here? Well, let me tell you about that. At the end of his life, Joshua had the people make a promise to follow the Lord. And it says that he set up a stone, a stone of remembrance, a home base where they could look and remember. God gave Israel other things over the years. He gave them the tablets that the Ten Commandments were written on. He gave them Aaron's rod that he used to perform miracles. He had them save a pot of manna, the food that he had miraculously given them from heaven. All of those things were tangible reminders that gave the people some sense of togetherness, home. And God had them observe feasts and festivals, every one of them some kind of a reminder of their identity and their place before God. Part of Israel's slide down the slippery slope and into exile can be traced to their neglect of the feasts that God had told them to observe. Here's the point of all of this. Part of reaching the next generation for the Lord, the ones that are in your home especially, is to make sure they have a home base to come to. Not just a literal home, that's good too, but something in life, something in their life that is as solid and as unmoving as a pile of rocks that's going to be there for them to look back on five years from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, a home base. This past week, I obtained some copies of several years of family letters that were written by my dad. Back before there was email, my dad, every other week for a few years, would type up a one-page family letter and copy it and send it to all six of his kids. And just glancing over those letters reminded me of the home base that was created by my parents that I grew up in. And even though those letters reminded me of some pretty hard events in our lives, they also remind me of a spiritual home base that my parents had built for six children that didn't just dissolve. And i got to tell you this morning, I am so thankful for parents who worked hard at that. We may not be able to control the direction of much of the world, where it is headed, but we can give a place to come back to for the children we're able to influence. You see, this coming generation, this next generation needs a home base, not an apology. Another way that we can reach the next generation is to be learning from the past. And I wrote that down and I thought, that just sounds totally backwards. It sounds counterintuitive, doesn't it? To learn from the past. But you know, one of the ways that we could help them is to help them learn the past and learn from it. Understand, this is not about being nostalgic. It's deeper than that. I'm thankful this morning for a guy named Ray Francis, one of the elders of the church in Pape, Missouri, where I preached while I was a college student. I remember Ray more than once saying, the only thing good about the good old days is that they're old. The great value of the past 
is the wisdom that we can glean from it and at the same time the weeds that we can toss aside. Israel was about to come into the promised land. Canaan, he's sitting right there. Israel's coming into the promised land. And that's the setting for the book that we call Deuteronomy. It's the fifth book in your Bible. I'd encourage you to open up to Deuteronomy, chapter 4. Deuteronomy, some people have a hard time even saying it, let alone spell it. Deuteronomy comes from two words that mean, put together, second law. Israel was getting ready to go into the promised land, and so God repeated his law to them. He gave them the second law. They were done with wandering around in the desert for 40 years. A whole generation has died off. A new generation needed to learn from the past, the past that most of them were not there to even witness they couldn't just watch a few documentaries on Amazon, on Amazon Video or Netflix. So Moses was getting them ready for a future that he would not get to share with them. Deuteronomy chapter 4, I want to start reading in verse 9. Only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. How on the day that you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, the Lord said to me, Gather the people to me that I may let them hear my words so that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on the earth and that they may teach their children so. Flip across to chapter 6, verse 1. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it. That you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son by keeping all his statutes and his commandments which I command you all the days of your life and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you, in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Israel's past mattered. It was important whether those people living there that day had experienced it or not, if they had just learned it, Part of preparing them and their children for the future was to teach them about their past. History mattered. And you and I need to become skilled at this, to teach the next generation about the past without making it boring and without acting like the past is somehow more desirable than the future. Kids don't need to hear how everything is horrible and it would be great if we could just go backwards. 
Amen? <laughs> Apparently, Israel didn't do a very good job at this. Fast forward to the book of Judges. You can see what happens when one generation fails to pass along the wisdom of the past to the next generation. Judges chapter 2, verse 7, the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work of the Lord that the Lord had done for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110 years, and they buried him within the boundaries of his inheritance in timnath Heres, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gaish. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. That's a nice way of saying they all died. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals, and they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. Do you see what happened there? One generation. And from there, the book of Judges then goes on to read like a collection of tragic short stories. Every one of them reinforcing the theme of the book, which is at the beginning and at the end. In those days, there was no king in Israel, but everyone did what was right in his own eyes. We've talked about how for the first time in history, the largest religious affiliation in our nation is now a group that would be called the nuns, the one who checked no religious affiliation. The most detached, most unaffiliated group is the youngest generation, Generation Z. And along with that comes that generation's belief that it's not important to raise their children with some kind of a religious foundation. And you can see by the charts, this next one shows it. You just look at the line. Uh, go ahead and flip to the next chart. You can look at the line of those who believe it's necessary to raise children in a religion, how it just goes south. That's from generation to generation. Somehow, we need to be able to keep history memorable and useful while at the same time looking forward to a desirable future. And maybe that sounds hard. I think that it probably will be hard. But it doesn't sound near as hard to me as a future without it. One more road for reaching this next generation that I see in our homes, and that is to use your place or places of greatest influence to make the greatest impact. Parents, this is on you. The place where you can make the greatest impact on the next generation is in your homes. And the time when you can make the greatest impact on the next generation is in your children's earliest years. And while statistics show a decline in homes that produce children who grow up feeling the need later in life to pursue a relationship with God, statistics also show that children who are taught to follow the Lord's precepts as they grow up in a home that is following the Lord's precepts are the ones who are most likely to seek a relationship with God later. That isn't rocket science. 
We can strategize all we want to about reaching millennials, generation Z, but the fact is, unless parents are taking those reins at home, the one place where we could and should be doing this is instead becoming our most tragic lost opportunity. Church is a great way to support all these good things, but the first and most important place is home. Can I say that again? (laughs) This is one of the most important basic premises of being a mom or dad. It's on us first at home to help our children and help them to learn to put into practice the most basics of life so that those kids can grow up to become the best version of what God has for them to become. You must not fail at this. It's what being a parent is all about. You're teaching that young person to replace you one day. You realize that? You teach them hygiene skills. You teach them to eat right. Yes, you must try a bite of that before you can leave the table. You teach them about social skills. Don't sneeze on everybody. You teach them to say please and thank you. You teach them about relationships. You teach them about how to handle material things. You may teach them how to swing a bat or a ping pong paddle or a golf club or how to, put, uh, how to tie a, a hook on a line, how to put a worm on a hook. You might learn, help them learn how to speak and to read and to write and how to move out eventually. You teach them those things. We recognize how important those things are and how we have only a certain window of opportunity to teach those. Most of this doesn't fall on teachers at school. It shouldn't. And grandparents may get a special window of opportunity here. I want to encourage you this morning, if you're a grandparent, to use that opportunity to do this very thing just as much as you can. Use it to reach the next generation with the truth. Your influence is unique. See, grandparents are cool when parents quit being cool. It's still needed. I'm going to say this just to wrap up this morning, that if you feel challenged trying to drum up the heart for this concern today, I thought maybe remembering how Jesus cared about children could help us. Matthew or Mark chapter 10. They were bringing children to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child, shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. Reaching the next generation means caring for the youngest among us so that those youngsters can grow up to enter the kingdom of God. The greatest hope, the greatest goal that you could have for any child is for that young person ultimately to end up in heaven, isn't it? To live there forever. And it seems to me that the only way that you could want for anybody to spend forever in heaven is to first want that for yourself. 
And this is the, the part where, yeah, I, I want to talk to you about that, and then we're going to have a word of prayer. Some this morning, contemplating their relationship with the Lord, understand, have heard it before perhaps, that you need to make a step of acceptance, that you need to do something to have this promise of life from God. We want children to go to heaven one day. We want for grown-ups to have that too. And if that's something that you want, you need to make a decision to follow Jesus Christ. It's that simple. He's done the heavy lifting. He's done the work. He presents it to you this morning as a gift. But a gift needs to be received. And so today, if that's something that you need to do, we're encouraging you, please, to accept this priceless gift that Jesus presents to you. Life in him. If you need to make that choice, we are eager for you to do that today. And that's why we, we end like we do. We want there to be a time that you feel compelled, that you feel this is very important. It is. And so we're going to pray together. We're going to be praying for you this morning if it's a decision that you need to make. If you're joining us online today and this is a decision that you need to make, please contact us so that we can get together with you. If you're here then right here today, you can stand in front of a group of people and say, I believe Jesus is God's son, and I want to give my life to him. And I'm saying goodbye to my old life, and I'm going to be baptized into him, and I'm going to start today my new life. Wouldn't that be great? Let's stand up together. We're going to pray and, and sing a song, and I'm going to be down here at the front. If, if that's something that you need to do today, would you please come and speak to me uh, before we're dismissed from here? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the challenge that we see before us. Uh, it's great. We know that there is an enemy who already has made plans to reach the very young ones that we this morning love and want to help to know you. So, Father, I pray that you will help us to follow the command of your word, to be vigilant, to be sober-minded, not to feel defeated, but rather, Lord, to step into this important work that you have given us to do, this part of reaching the next generation. We pray for our children, God. We pray for their minds, their tender hearts. We pray that they will hear, and in our homes, first and foremost, hear the truth constantly, watch the truth being lived, and because of that, want to know you as early as possible. So, Father, I pray that you'll help us in that work. We also are conscious that there are people here this morning, people who are watching as well, who need to make this choice to become followers of you. Lord, please, uh, given this opportunity, I pray that they would respond now. And I know that that is uh, the choice that you give each one of us to make, but I pray that the hindrances, the things that prevent it, will now be taken down. We look forward, Lord, to your word doing its work in us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.